0: Atlassian.
1: Support for this show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher.
0: And I'm Scott Galloway.
1: And today we're opening our listener mailbag. We always love hearing from listeners with your comments, critiques, and thought-provoking questions. And today you've asked us about everything from electric vehicles to intellectual property to the future of streaming and podcasts. Scott, are you ready for the listener mailbag, which we love to do?
0: Born ready, baby.
1: Born ready. We got it in actual mail. No, no, people sent in and called it in. All right, let's listen to the first question.
0: Hi, Scott and Cara.
2: Question regarding Tesla. Tesla has recently announced that it will join with Ford and GM to allow these companies to use their charging stations. Do you think this is going to grow into a monster that's going to require the FTC to get involved to have Tesla spin off its charging station division? My name is Rich from New York, and I love the show. Thank you.
1: Scott, I had no idea Rich was from New York at all, at all, whatsoever. I love it. Rich, we love your accent. Fantastic. Yeah. We've talked about this in previous shows. Um Scott and I come down a little different. We do think it's a really good thing. Rivian also, I think, just agreed. It looks like it's going to be the standard. And that puts Tesla in a good position because it's been very uh, prescient about putting these things out there. I was at a, a stop this weekend, and there were Tesla chargers there and other char- other companies. I think all those other companies are toast, and there's a lot of them. There's a whole bunch of them in the space competing if this becomes the standard, that said, I do think eventually this becomes a commodity, like a gas station and this and that. So I don't know if they'll have the only standard, and they definitely have to be careful from a from a regulatory point of view of charging. They will get license fees from everybody, so it's good for them in that if other people do businesses. So it could be a very good little business for them.
0: I think it'll be seen as a key moment. And initially, I thought the best analog was the App Store from Apple, but having uh, upon further reflection i think a more a more apt analogy is uh, aws and that is they took a cost center charging for their own vehicles made a pretty substantial investment in it and now they've turned around and turned a cost center into a profit center
1: yeah very good that's much better i didn't like your app store because i think that's not quite the same thing
0: well i'm i'm i'm, I'm glad i've corrected myself so I think they could make a lot of money here, and this might even be at some point spun off into a distinct business. Whether the FTC gets involved, that's more about if the FTC continues to kind of stir from its 30-year slumber.
1: Mm -hmm. Could be very interesting. They have to be careful. And one of the things, as they're facing a lot of price cuts and everything else in their in their actual business and competition, which is going to be a problem. Just that China's a very juggernaut in the area. Their version of Tesla is suffering because of price cuts and expenses. Um, and this is going to be a problem for Tesla. This is an area where they are way far ahead, uh, as they are in many areas like battery. And so you can see them. You know, this was important for them to have because if people are using these Teslas, um, you need. To worry about range anxiety, which I think that's what it's called, you know, and having these things. But you're going to have gas stations are going to be turned into charging places, and there will be new companies to create this. It won't just be Tesla doing it. Um, they'll license it, or um, people will do a version of it that works, or in a uh, something that um that could work with it. Some of these chargers are going to be instantaneous. Toyota's working on one that's going to be a ten minute charge, and so. Every gas station you see will be a charging station for in some fashion that people will cut, drive in 10 minutes. And it will be a profit center, very tight profit center with margin, very low margins, I think. Tesla's been a leader here. So for this short amount of time, they certainly will benefit from the prescience of doing what they did, I think. It was a smart move. He's got like Starlink. He's got a lot of smart moves that aren't the main event that are that I think are smart on their part. But I do think Tesla's going to see enormous competition itself going forward. Anyway, here's another one. It comes via email. I'll read it. My beloved favorite podcasters, Kara and Scott. Beloved. We're beloved Scott. I love your show and converted many friends and family to listen to you. The interaction between the two of you is both entertaining and edifying, dick jokes included. Okay, if you insist. Uh, I have a question about EV cars and the infrastructure needed to support the expansion of EV cars. I've been wondering lately if the U.S. electrical grid and related infrastructure is really ready for the expansion car manufacturers are planning in the next decades. I recently came across several interviews online on the subject and heard very opposing views and cannot really understand if people raising the alarm are veritable or not. What do you think? It would be great to hear you interviewing some subject matter experts on this. I work in supply chain, and I can attest that supply chain is a really sexy job that could benefit with more women in it. Much aloha, aliche. Well, I love Hawaii, Aliche. Uh, this is a good question. It's a, sim- it's a similar thing of where this infrastructure is coming. And I just mentioned that I think every gas station will eventually be converted to an EV charger. And we definitely have to upgrade electricity. And of course, electricity is not without its issues um, and related infrastructure. And I think it's something definitely to be concerned about um, as we move forward. Um, there's lots of ways to create electricity, including nuclear, uh, which is, I think, when we'll have more nuclear energy across our country over the next few decades. As we try to get to uh, zero, there's no other way to get to it without using nuclear energy, and so I do think we have to be thinking hard. I I I don't think I think this is moving slowly enough that they'll be able to upgrade. It's not going to be a sudden shift of everyone to electric cars, although it's moving much more quickly, and and there's advances. Um, But yes, it's really uh, important. We should have subject matter experts on this. I will look for one, Scott.
0: Well, I don't know if you heard this, but Lorena Bobbitt was in an auto accident last week and died. You know why? Why? Some dick cut her off.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on.
0: My first wife left me because of my small dick. She said, Kara, that she just wasn't (laughs) feeling it. She just wasn't feeling it.
1: All right. Two dick jokes. Thank you.
0: I heard nothing after he said he liked my dick jokes. So yeah, anyway. infrastructure, yeah. Inflation Act or Infrastructure Act. Supply chain. Yeah, we definitely need more women in the supply chain. Congratulations. You get a Gardens of gotcha pin from Wokistan.
1: OK, go ahead. Um,
0: anyways, I, look, uh, I love infrastructure. I think any investment in infrastructure is an investment in the middle class, which is the greatest innovation in history. And it's been shown that if you can give people more time with their families, if you can invest in um, whether it's Internet, whether it's GPS, uh, whether it's roads, that there's all sorts of spillover into the main street economy. So uh, there isn't an infrastructure investment I don't like. And when you don't uh, make investments in infrastructure, you send the worst signal in the world to you you send the worst signal possible to the world when your airports look like third world countries when your apartment buildings that are literally in a stone's throw from an apartment building going at for five thousand dollars a square foot collapses in the middle of the night when bridges are collapsing it just says to the whole world that we are being blown by by china who spends 10 times the amount uh, per gdp or per capita on infrastructures the us so uh, i don't care if it's uh, expanding the electric grid these create great middle-class jobs. We need we need vocational training to suck up some people who've been sort of left out of the incredible prosperity but no progress movement we've had over the last 30 or 40 years. Whether or not the electrical grid is actually the place, you know, when it collapses on itself, I don't know. I heard you talk about nuclear. I'm a huge fan of nuclear. I'm hoping that has a renaissance. But yeah, infrastructure, we are overdue. I think that is one place that would probably be worth once interest rates coming down again. That is one of the few places I think you could justify increasing the national debt because that will result in growth.
1: And these charging businesses are clearly going to be a business. I mean, every that's what everyone worries about. A lot of the grumbling came from Tesla users because people will be on the Tesla chargers. Although I was at this rest stop and everyone was at the gas station and not at the Tesla or the other chargers. Um I think if it, it takes a long time. You can't just sit there. And that's the issue is fast charging, which Toyota is working on very fast. They're all working on very fast charging, but Toyota supposedly has a 10 minute one coming out in a couple of years. Um, this is going to be an area of ripe for innovation and how to share it. I have, and I have a charger at my house. I was like, there are companies where you can say you have a charger and charge people for using it uh, overnight and things like that. A lot of this just sits there. But definitely, it's to me, if you're going to do something innovative that has both analog and uh, digital parts, all the information you have from people, really interesting businesses are going to come out of this stuff. And again, the gas stations are going to go by the wayside. Um, and it makes sense to repurpose them as electrical things. If you're a If you're a gas company, you've got to be interested in investing in this, I would imagine. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. I I mean, okay. So there's the hopeful side and then there's the realist glass half empty side of side. And that is 97% of transportation is still fueled by fossil fuels. And what I have found from Exxon, BP, and Shell and all the rest is there's a lot of jazz hands around investments in renewables. And if you actually look at the balance sheet and see where they're actually investing money, they are dwarfing these investments in renewables in new fields and new exploration because at the end of the day the best business in the world uh, over the last hundred years hasn't been microprocessors it hasn't been it hasn't been the internet it's been fossil fuels and you could argue that if you want to f- follow the flow of power globally for the last century you just follow the flow of energy and we wouldn't have hospitals we wouldn't have any of this without fossil fuels so in these companies you want to talk about stocks that have performed the last two or three years and it hasn't been because of excitement over their move to renewables it's been an, an unfortunate recognition that we're going to be dependent upon fossil fuels for the long time the emergent player globally that people don't talk about that much but the emergent player that grew its gdp faster than any large economy last year is the kingdom of saudi arabia Yeah. Fossil fuels are still going to dominate for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. You know, people had a lot of horses and wagons and things get replaced. I hope so.
0: I I think it's the case.
1: It always happens. There used to be like carts, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. We have different thoughts of this. I think it's a great business area and it's something, you know, that will be slower in coming than people think. But certainly at this point, Tesla's ahead on that issue. Okay. Let's listen to another one.
2: Hi, Karen Scott. This is RJ calling from LA, one of the homes of the writer's strike. And my question is for both of you, but mostly the one who's been maligning that strike for the past few weeks. Professor the dog, you've made it clear on multiple occasions that you don't think the WGA or labor unions in general are effective. You said that screenwriters have no currency in the market compared to directors and compared writers to tenured professors who don't pull their weight. Thing is, You've also said that IP is one of the most valuable assets that a media company can own, and who originates IP? Writers do. And it's not like these media companies aren't making record profits. They pay their executives enough to meet the WGA's demands many times over. So, respectfully, Prof G, what do we do to capture the wealth that we're generating for all these other people? Square this circle. Oh, patron saint of erectile dysfunction, save us, Prof G. And thank you both so much for your insights and your commentary every week and to your team for making sure that we can appreciate them.
0: Oh, I love this guy. Patron saint of erectile dysfunction. No shit, he's a writer. I know. I let mean, me just say
1: the candle is being made for that right now. I just he, ordered it on candles.com. He's com. in the
0: right business.
1: Oh my God, I love this guy.
0: Do you want to take this first or do you want me to do this?
1: No, I don't. I feel like he was talking to you, penis problem. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I think you're I think you're mean to writers. And I let me just tell you, this guy sounded like every writer who calls me and complains about you.
0: Oh, no, he was much kinder. He's like one of the few writers I haven't heard from.
1: I get a call a day about you. So uh, by very well-spoken people. But go ahead. Go for it, Scott.
0: Yeah. So my assertion that unions are ineffective. It's not my assertion. It's fact. Union membership over the last 40 years in America has been cut in half, not because their mission isn't noble. We all believe in a stronger middle class. We all believe in higher wages. There should be one union, and it should be the U.S. government, and it should enforce minimum wage. I would like to see minimum wage raised to 25 bucks an hour. Yes, I said it. A lot of businesses would go out of business. A lot of small businesses would go out of business, and it would be worth it. Above that, labor in the United States is based on supply and demand. And what I have found from a lot of these writers, similar to what I hear from a lot of tenured professors, is they think they are very, very precious. Nobody owes you a living writing for Succession or for SpongeBob SquarePants. And the reality is, if there is not enough good jobs to make enough money for you, go elsewhere. There are three legs of the stool of this type of journalism. There are newspaper writers, there are writers for television, and there are authors. I would would speculate that the best compensated over the last 30 years by far have been writers in Hollywood. Now, having said that, their leverage here, their leverage here is they have... Totally miscalculated, as is usually the case on behalf of unions, and that is they have thrown these riders at a German pillbox, and they are going to get shot up and torn apart. Why? Because everybody, due to this massive overinvestment in content for the last decade, has a Netflix, a Hulu, an Amazon Prime queue that is about 300 hours. Raise your hand if anybody, anybody at home feels any impact from the rider strike right now. No hands are going up. So your union has massively, massively miscalculated. And if you want to make a moral argument, I was just at Summit at Sea with the founders of Google, who are each worth $60 billion. If you want to talk about compensation and taxation and what is fair, let's talk about teachers, let's talk about nurses. But that is a much bigger boat we're going to need. The your writers' union has poorly served you. You have absolutely no leverage and nobody owes you a living in writing. What we do owe people is dignity and work, 25 bucks an hour minimum wage. But the writers who for some reason have decided that they are owed a living in Hollywood, guess what? Most of us can't make a living in Hollywood, so we do something else.
1: All right. Square the circle. They do create the IP. How can they get that power then? Because they don't. They work for these companies and they, get, they give up their IP by doing so, by taking their salaries or whatever. How do they get to a position of power? I want you to square the circle because they are creating the shows. They are creating the IP. They are creating the ideas.
0: But this is the bottom line. There's too many of them. We went through this orgy of overinvestment and they have absolutely played into the hands of the studios who, who dreamt of a multilateral forced pause in spending to recalibrate down costs. So there, how, how do they, quote unquote, get some of the rights to the IP, amazing IP that they create? I want to be clear. I get tremendous joy from original scripted television. I can go through a list of moments that have really been meaningful for me personally. But here's the bottom line. Just as there are too many people in fashion design, There are too many people opening restaurants. There are too many people who dream of being an athlete. There are too many writers in Hollywood who were supported by the sugar high of an orgy of spending that is no longer sustainable. And their union has decided to strike when they they are at an absolute trough of leverage Now, I'm not, again, I love the basic notion, the basic intention of unions. The construct has been ineffective. I've been on boards where we deal with unions. I have, the New York Times used to bring in union representatives, not exactly a bastion of conservatism, saw the union as the enemy and would roll their eyes and then they'd leave the room and we would slowly but surely pick them apart. Unions have been disorganized. They don't attract good talent. They have a a reputation for corruption. One union, 25 bucks an hour. Above that, my brothers and sisters, nobody owes you a living.
1: All right. So you're going to stick to it. You're sticking to it.
0: Well, where do I have this wrong?
1: What I'd like you to answer, though, is is there a way Is there a different economic relation between right or just fewer of them is your argument right now, just not as many. Is there a way that they can own the IP, for example?
0: But that all comes down to negotiating, which all reverse engineers are the same place. And that is leverage. The reason why a plumber... Coming out with any sort of apprenticeship or any certification in plumbing can make a $100, dollars $120, 140000 dollars Their second year as a plumber is there aren't enough of them. And the reason why the WGA has massively miscalculated is relative to the amount of money that is going to go into original scripted drama, relative to where it's been the last decade, there are just too many writers. So how do you get how do you get rights to future IP? Simple. You get leverage. By taking out capital, and that is a lot of what I'll call tier two and tier three riders are going to need to go find a living somewhere else. The same way cab drivers had to find a living somewhere else when Uber came in and disrupted them.
1: Or p- get paid what the studio tells them to pay. Wh- wh- how do you get to his this idea that the news, the executive pay, is so high? That's
0: a different talk show, Kara. Okay. I mean, l- think about this. Okay, we're going to talk about income inequality.
1: I'm just having you answer his question, Scott.
0: Sure. But there. this is an emotional argument. David Zaslav, a fairly mediocre Mm -hmm. executive, at least over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. has made a quarter Mm -hmm. of a billion dollars. So why shouldn't writers get some living wage? I I can't argue with that. Look at what tech billionaires make. Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg make $2 billion and $60 billion by depressing teens. So if we're going to talk about executive compensation, the reality is it is very hard to rein in CEO compensation because boards decide the compensation, then you get to know Lisa or Bob who are nice people and a CEO is very important. What we need to do is increase taxation on people making this amount of money because we live in a capitalist society where if you're smart enough to figure out a way to get to the top of the pyramid, you're gonna be exceptionally overcompensated. And if we don't think that's the right thing to do, shareholders should rise up and some do and go after CEO compensation and try and replace the board. What is a no brainer is we need to restore a progressive tax structure such that we can take some of those taxes and retrain people who are displaced by autonomous driving. Truck drivers, number one job in America for people who are not college educated. Those folks are really gonna get kicked in the nuts by technology. But there is this certain feel, quite frankly, and this will solicit a lot again, my Twitter feed will file up between my colleagues in academia and the riders where somehow they see themselves and their jobs as a birthright to be well compensated in this industry. No, it's not, you have no more birthright to be compensated well in this industry as teachers or nurses who are vastly underpaid. There is no social good or very little social good. So the question is, do you make enough money? If you don't, you have the same choice every other American has to make every day. Maybe I go to another industry.
1: Yep. All right. I'm going to let it stop there. I I tend to agree with you largely on some of this. I just have that argument, as I told you about, with a bunch of people about headline writers and AI. I was like, you don't have a right to write headlines anymore if it's cheaper by AI, and and it is. And you can bemoan it all you want, but that's not a job people should be doing. They should be doing a better something that AI can't do. So I understand this. I do think there there is a moment to think about IP that is very different of like what you'll be willing to do for selling your IP, which means making a lot less, right? If you want to own your IP, you make a lot less. Those relationships might change over time of who owns the IP and who has the rights. And that would be interesting. I do think they are in a deleveraged position as you do. I think they absolutely are on lots of levels.
0: Well, Ray Charles Ray Charles negotiated to own the master copies of his albums because he was singular. And when when there's Uh, Very few riders, and 10 years ago when there was an upsurge in spending, riders had a lot of leverage. There just weren't enough riders relative to the spend. It has flipped. And the, the folks at your union have grossly miscalculated their leverage.
1: All right. Let's leave it at that. RJ, I'm sorry you didn't get the answer you wanted, but I love your question. Very well. Well written, I'll say. Well written.
0: I want to apologize for coming across as so defensive. And combative and angry. I have gotten so much shit from people. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I apologize. I am defensive around this issue. And I'm actually going on a podcast with an old fraternity brother of mine, a guy named Billy Ray, who used to be on the negotiations committee uh, for the WGA. Because I've, uh, he's been very generous with me, and I want to, and I want to be thoughtful about the issue. But, anyways, I apologize for being so defensive. I'm just sick of, quite frankly, just getting attacked by people with very eloquent, eloquently written <laughs> attacks.
1: <laughs> but you are the patron saint of erectile dysfunction.
0: You know it. If that's wrong, I don't want to be right.
1: You are. See what he did to you? He threw you a bone there. So to speak a boner he threw you a boner he threw you a boner
0: i'll hail to the flaccid king
1: anyway let's go on a quick break when we come back a listener wants to know how we can
2: prevent the end of the world
0: fox creative
2: this is advertiser content from atlassian That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Scott, we're back with more listener mail. This one came in via email. Let me read it to you. Scott and Carol, longtime fan and steadfast listener, I'm a communications consultant who's increasingly asked by clients to worry less about earned media and traditional kinds of PR and more about owned media, blogs, email, newsletters, and wait-for-it podcasts. My question is, where does this all go? In a year or five years? Or what will we be using to tell stories? Are we looking to a future of more in-person, real-life conferences and meetups? Or are we just going to be swiftly shunted to social reality as the preferred method of storytelling and B2C messaging? DLDR. If streaming and podcasts are both over, what's next? Thanks, Kenny from Chattanooga. Well, Kenny, thanks for writing. I don't think it's over. It's just changing. I don't. I think you. It's great to communicate via podcasts as a company. It, some of them are quite good. I mean, look, my Succession podcast was won by HBO. It just was really well done. Uh, blogs are a good way to do it. Email newsletters. Own media is actually very effective compared to earned media. I guess that's what you call it and traditional kinds of PR because I don't think people are listening. I think that it, it will change to see you should be on TikTok. You should be doing storytelling anywhere storytelling is happening. I don't know if that's a problem. I don't think streaming is over. I don't think podcasts are over. I thought there was over, le, over spending with, with celebrities and things like that, which I thought was economically ridiculous. Even all of us knew that at the time they were economically ridiculous. Um, but any way you can tell stories is fine. I don't, I just, I don't think traditional PR is going to work anymore. That's for sure. And that will be replaced by AI if used at all. It's, it's, it's mostly useless. It seems like me. Wonderful advertising is still a great way to tell a story. Then um, there's lots of new creative ways to do that.
0: If there was one skill I could give my kids, it would be storytelling. It's not Mandarin. It's not computer science. I think storytelling um, is enduring whether it's the ability to raise capital or a lower cast of capital, whether it's the ability to entice a crowd, whether it's the ability to attract mates, Storytellers, whether it's Mick Jagger or Beyonce have a broader selection set of mates because what they are is they're amazing storytellers. Uh, this is now what the, the next part of this or what are the mediums? And that's a tougher one to tell. I don't think anyone saw the rise of TikTok. Uh, obviously, it's social media. I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of getting together in person. I'm not even talking about can.
1: So that was great, it really was. I learned a lot, but go ahead.
0: I I agree, but something did strike me when I was there. It is very stratified and it's kind of like not even, it's really kind of sequestered to the top 1%. And what I would like to see as part of an infrastructure act is a fairly significant investment in what we refer to as uh, third places, parks, opportunities for nonprofits, leagues, um, uh, used to be
1: uh, churches, other community uh, Religious
0: institutions, ex- subsidized extension classes. We need to touch, smell. we need more, more unsupervised opportunities for random encounters in the service of other people. And that's one of the reasons I'm a fan actually of national service because I used to go to Westwood Park and play basketball. And I remember it was 28 bucks a year and I got to play in every league there. I made a bunch of great friends, I found mentors. You know, my dad's been married four times, so I've been to every temple, Presbyterian church, and Unitarian church in Los Angeles, and I made made a lot of wonderful friends there. But there is an absence of um, third places, and we need we need something more than just conferences that kind of the tech elite go to. Sure, we need agreed. a reason to get it. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, mm-hmm. all of that. We need more of it.
1: It's school, kids in school and everything else. That sure was a very clear signal from the pandemic that kids need to be in schools. Like they just need to physically. Online schools just don't, don't work.
0: And after school, you know, drill team and drum line. And I mean, just all that stuff is so important.
1: You know, one of the things that Clara loved at Con, there was a daycare that they had that was, um, free, which was great. Um, so we could go off and do work and stuff and Amanda could get a break and they loved it with other kids and met kids from all over the world. And it was really interesting. And I was like, do you want to come with us to see this thing in Valls or whatever? And she's like, I'd like you to go back to school. You know what I mean? She just wanted to hang with people, which was interesting. Um, I do agree with you. I think it's interesting because, On the storytelling, it's critically important. And you're just going to have to just cope with whatever's come. And you don't have to make owned media, blogs, email newsletters, and podcasts sucky. You don't have to if you're a PR person. They can be really interesting. You can be interesting or and tell a story well. Even if it's PR, right? Even if it's an, about your company, it's just, it's just become boring and it's done by people who are not interested in what they're doing in a, in a medium that's dull. And so storytelling, you can be good no matter where you are, uh, what you're doing and you should find new and creative ways to, I guess I said, TikToks and everything. And as what Scott said to real life thing, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think we have to invest more in all variety of in-person things. It's so well worth it um, for people to do it. Oddly enough, I've been—I went to church when I was a kid, and I didn't—I don't at all anymore. Like most people, actually, the numbers are really striking. I've been walking past churches and wanting to go in, and not just because it was in France and pretty. I—I have this feeling like I kind of want to go in for a service, and I don't want to go to the Catholic church because I have all kinds of issues. But I was like, the community part is what I loved about it—the sitting in a room full of people. Please
0: greet your neighbor. Remember that? Yeah. Turn yeah. to the left. Yeah, w- give yeah. them a blessing. Say hello. Yeah. Shake their hand. Yeah. It's wonderful. I just,
1: for some reason lately, I've been having a feeling. It's, it's not religious. It's not. It's something else. It's it's something beyond religion. Um, and so, yes, I would. It's a weird feeling. I don't. It's so strange that every time I go past a church, I want to go in um, for a service, which is interesting. Quaker meeting.
0: When I used to go to Temple or to the Presbyterian Church, uh, I noticed the Temple was more about education. The, the sermon or whatever you call the rabbi was basically almost educating us. So we talked about politics and it was just some incredibly you know, well-educated, a lot of domain expertise, rooting it in life lessons. When I went to the uh, Presbyterian Church, what I found is it was just a bunch of good people who wanted to be together uh, in the agency of something bigger than them. And it, it was just a, I, re, I remember the minister coming up to me. I think it's called a minister. I was an 11-year-old, first service, coming up to me and go, I heard you're out staying with your dad, my mom and dad, you know, he was on his third wife. And he said, come over tomorrow. I have a bike for you. you every every 11-year-old boy needs a bike. You know, these are like good people trying to help strangers. And I, I miss that a lot. The problem is I just can't get over this, the legacy stories. I, but I, I agree with you. I miss that community and that.
1: Yeah. That yep.
0: connection, and
1: it's helpful. And even if it was elite, a com was, it was just fun. I have to say, being around a lot of people just walking down, all kinds of people. I was watching people outside. They were leaving the palais because we had an apartment across from it after they'd done their awards. And they were having a great time, right? You know we you could they 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 you didn't see this, but it was on a screen on the front of the palais. You could watch the ceremony as people were winning their things. It was lovely to watch. Claire and I sat and watched it and then everyone poured out and then went off to things. And it was a really nice, uh, even if it was a lead, it was, this was sort of the people, the, the regular grunts who were getting awards and stuff. I found it very lovely to watch people just spill out of a, uh, of a gathering. And it just was, I don't know, it was really nice. Anyway, here's the next one. I'll read it. Hello Ms and Mr Swishaway. That's our name just together just so you know Swishaway. Mm-hmm. Uh what kind it sounds like a toilet product Swishaway, yeah. Swishaway. What kind of global policies in your views would prevent existential technological disaster for the next generation. Oh, just a light one. Examples of already always happening existential threats, rapid climate change and species extinction from fossil fuel, global political destabilization, social media, Skynet, AI, and nuclear war, atomic tech. I'll take my answer off the air via my genetically enhanced and AI enabled Palm Pilot. Thank you, Eric from Brooklyn. Oh man, global policies. Well, I guess I'll start again. We need to have AI policies in place right before this starts to really roll out around the uses of it, and that we could imagine all the bad uses easily. Uh, so I think that's it's number one: a global regulatory body dealing with this issue immediately. As to climate change, again, a global body that agrees to do things. Uh, we have a lot of people who don't believe in climate change and in the absence of that, a much faster move, as much as I love all the uh, renewables and I'm, much as I love solar, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm interested in fusion, the work that they're doing on fusion. Um, we've got to bring nuclear energy back. It's not, it's not, nuclear bombs. It's not, and it's been relatively safe over the, the time. And even, uh, the Chernobyl, the very, very small number of deaths compared to what fossil fuel is doing to this world. Um, we have to make a choice here. And so that's one thing. I think n- nuclear energy. And I think many, many people who are, who t- protest against it are misguided and don't understand the, the, um, the overall feelings about it. I just did an inter- interesting interview with Oliver Stone. He has a, a new documentary called Nuclear Now. It's quite good. He has some kooky ideas in general about other things, but, um, but in he's correct in this, uh, in this particular point, uh, via social media. Another, we have to have global standards for social media, but at the, unfortunately it's now owned by, uh, by people who some of whom are have lost their marbles in many ways, and so allegedly lost their marbles. And so there's nothing we can do since it's private. Most of them are privately owned. Um, More regulation, any regulation about that. Scott? Uh,
0: American superpower is our optimism. Our species superpower is cooperation. And this isn't a new idea. And there are uh, examples of a lot of wonderful organizations that reach across borders for the common good, across not only the commonwealth, but the well-being of humanity, we have the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is obviously comprised of Western nations. But we have the Geneva Conventions. We had rules around war that we all agreed to. We decided to not have um, to use gas, to use um, chemical, to have chemical attacks in World War One. Uh, I'm sorry, in World War Two. After we saw what they could do in World War One, we now have an agreement. There is technology battlefield technology with these hyper lasers that when they're fired, will blind everybody on the field permanently. That technology exists and every nation, including nations that are at war with each other, have decided to sign up for that and they do not deploy that technology on the battlefield. We have multilateral agreements around bioweapons. Uh, So we have been able to do this and what's required is leadership and a comity of man and realize that we have, we went from 50,000 nuclear warheads in the US and Russia respectively down to 10,000 because we cooperated. So these, these agencies have real meaning and they work and we need more of them specifically around, I think probably AI or technology more generally, We need an AI regulatory body. I think it should be run first out of NATO for security reasons, but then we all need to cooperate. We cooperate, the World Health Organization attempts to get everyone on the same page.
1: We've got to work with China on AI. 100%, but
0: we we have taken our worst enemies and decided across the most sensitive topics to work together in the past. And there's no reason why we can't continue to do that and have better organizations that are even stronger. And serve humanity. We do cooperate. And uh, so this isn't anything new. We just need – what we need is, is we need leaders who recognize it's worth the effort, it's worth the work, and we want to plant trees, the shade of which we will never sit under because these are long-term investments.
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. Any thoughts on any other parts? We're just, I think regulation of social media would be nice for once.
0: I don't know if you can do that. Uh, it, uh, that'll be interesting. I don't know if you can do that globally. I think that's – individually. Yeah, it becomes much more regional, right? Uh, Based on, I know that's a, I I would just settle for any regulation (laughs) around social technology. Technology is the largest industry in history that has avoided any regulation for this long. And they have learned from the sins of the father, specifically Microsoft, who didn't wanna play the regulation or lobbying game and then immediately was like found guilty of monopoly abuse. And so the new tech titans are much smarter and they weaponize a pay-for-play government. And they have been incredibly deft and effective. Space,
1: they're owning space now. They're well, owning.
0: I don't know if you saw, but Sam Altman, I don't know if you saw this, but Sam Altman, the Mr. Regulate Me Please guy, it ends up that he's actually participating or funding regulators who have all of a sudden decided that the regulation they're proposing is not the right regulation. So it, we need leadership here. We need more Mar- Marguerite Vestiers, Lena Kahn, Professor Tim Wu, who just left the administration. But w- these organizations matter, they're important, and, and they can work.
1: Yeah, they can, absolutely. We've gotta trust our regulators a little more rather than demonize them.
2: Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner.
0: Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. Um,
1: Okay, last one. I'll read it. Tara and Scott, you guys are so in the know on everything. I'm amazed by your intellect. How do you stay on top of it all? What do you read specifically? Do you carve out time in your day? How do you make it a priority with the kids? Susie from Pittsburgh. Yes, Susie, we're geniuses. I don't know what to tell you, but we are our intellects are so massive. I just uh, that's how yeah, we do yeah. it. Yeah. That's
0: it. That's our problem. Go ahead,
1: Scott, you go first on this one then.
0: I get asked this a lot and I don't have a good answer. Uh, I think Greatness is in the agency of others. Whenever we do the show, uh, one of uh, the analysts at PropG, Mia Silverio, puts together notes for me. I did an editorial call this morning and we'll literally just spend an hour on the phone with the 10 people who work at PropG just talking about ideas. And if something's really interesting, we start pulling data on it. I learn a lot from you, Kara. I try and find interesting media sources. I do find, less so now, but Twitter used to bubble up really interesting things, sort of crowdsource interesting ideas. And I'm very fortunate. I have a lot of people who will text me something, including you, saying this is really an interesting article that cuts to kind of the – cuts to the core, if you will. But I don't have – my go-to when I was a consultant, I had the secret weapon or two. I used to go to The Economist, and I used to go to something. My real secret weapon was something called American Demographics, which was Mm, this magazine. That's a
1: good magazine. I've read that. Um,
0: But now it's just kind of a hodgepodge. Now it's sort of crowdsourcing from my team and, and colleagues.
1: Yeah, I would say I'm a little more disciplined than Scott is in that regard. I read all the major newspapers every morning, every, or at the evening, uh, and look for stories. Uh, and I read widely the Atlantic. Uh, I read, um, or I, I, I scroll it and then I pick the ones I want. I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. I look at Politico. I look at, um, the San Francisco Chronicle. I just am interested in San Francisco. I look everywhere for it, the information. Um, I get, I, I love the Puck newsletters. Um, I tend to stick with, with. News sources I trust and I, which I've covered. So, um, I used to spend a lot more time on Twitter. It's a waste of my time unless I'm interested in dunking. Like if funny dunks is what I find there now, you used to find a lot of interesting ideas, but I, I now specifically search people. I know I have a list of people on any one subject that I look for, whether it's politics or banking or something like that. Everyone else I absolutely ignore. And I didn't used to do that. I used to be very open on Twitter.
0: I do those emails, like CNN's Five Things. I I love the email that Semaphore puts out, the Puck newsletter. The Axios.
1: Yeah, I'll look at all the newsletters. Casey's platformer, I looked at.
0: The Deal at. Book from Andrew mm-hmm. Oswergen. He does a great job. On Instagram, I love Jessica Yellen's News Not Noise. I find it's like a quick hit to get up to speed on stuff.
1: I like Oliver uh, Darcy's uh, CNN thing. That's a lot of media, but I don't. I I, I have cut back for sure. When I want to know about something, I go in a deep dive on the regular media things. Um, I watch some TV. Uh, I watch Stephanie Rule's uh, 11th Hour because I like Stephanie's so it has a nice synopsis. So up, up Everything else is noise to me. I find it noisy. I look at it sometimes. Um, but a lot of it is repetitive and sort of a dog race kind of stuff. And I find it, I don't like a dog race. Like, who's up?
0: Yeah, The, the sa- and Saturday and Sunday, God, I consume a lot of media. Saturday and Sunday morning for me are Fareed Zakaria, Michael Smirconish, and on Sunday morning I go to Margaret Brennan at Face the Nation.
1: Yeah, oh, see? There, you do do a lot more. And then I tend to get recommendations from friends. People send me stuff a lot of the time. Um, And I talk to people more than most people. And so I'd rather do the reporting myself. That's just because of me. Uh, But I do carve out time in the morning and in the late evening. Um, And priority for the kids, I stop. We have dinner usually. I try not to look at the phone uh, uh, or try to respond. Most of the time on the phone, I'm responding to my other kids, like someone's trying to reach us or family. Or Scott, or something like that, and then t- we on on pivot, and also on we send stories back and forth all day long on things like and and we do that. Like I looked at this, what about this? It's really helpful. So it's a lot of people you trust, um, but in general, um, we're very interested in curious people. I would say, don't you think, Scott? We love it. We love we're information vacuums, aren't we?
0: I find this stuff. I don't even think of it as work. I just find this stuff so interesting and. And I, I'm, people know I find it interesting. Um, and I, I develop nice relationships this way. I just heard from someone, uh, this Molly Jung Fast woman, and I thought, oh, I, I was flattered that she took the time to message me. I have another good friend, Whitney Tilson, and whenever Whitney finds something that he thinks I would enjoy, he sends it to me. And your friends are a great source. What I would say is, where do you where do you start? When you find stuff that you think is relevant to other people, start emailing stuff to them, and they'll start emailing back.
1: Or texting, I tend to text more than anything else. Um, and then lastly, I do other things that are just weird. I just, I just started uh listening. I listen to history podcasts quite a bit. I'm listening to one called the history of Rome, which is 12, 13 minute segments on the history of Rome. And I'm going to go all the way through it. I, I just, I had studied, I I do a lot of historical reading on a lot of stuff, but I used to read now I listen. Um, and I find it, it they are 12 minutes. It doesn't take that long. And if I get tired, I turn it off, but Never goes anywhere, um, and so I do that. I do that, and so with the, with the kids, um, I try to, uh, you know, do just stuff with them. We just just we just take time, just take time, don't you? You took you took your kid to the soccer game. We did marshmallows last night. We traveled. We brought them on our trips. We both brought them on our trips.
0: Yeah, but even and also, I mean, just thinking about it, it, it keeps going. Is um, probably once a week. Do a full episode of The Daily from the New York Times if it's a subject matter that I, I want to know more about. I think they do a fantastic job. I just listened to a finance podcast with my friend Scott Goodwin, who's a credit investor. And this is an incredible podcast on credit cycles. He's with Diameter Capital. So occasionally I find a, a finance podcast that I'll go deep into. But oh my God, it's so. It, there's
1: so much content. There's, there's Scott so just, much uh, great stuff out there. I watch a lot of docs on uh, Netflix and mostly on Netflix, actually, on HBO. Those are I, I watch documentaries all the time, which I love. on On things that aren't news, things uh, like on the on physics.
0: This is this in no way is instructive or helpful. We've basically just told them to do math and watch media all day, watch and listen to media all day,
1: <laughs> right, all the time. Anyway, those are great questions. Uh, send us more. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show, or call eight five 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 one PIVOT. Okay, Scott, that is the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. And again, listeners, thank you for your great questions. I love the way you guys ask questions, whether it's RJ handing it to Scott. I like that. Push back, argue with us. We love it. We will argue back at you. Uh We love the questions we get in person. We love meeting you, as we've said. We really do enjoy it. Um, and, and if you don't agree with us, tell us. We love to hear uh, hear from you. We are not the world's experts on everything. And if we're wrong, let us know. And if we're right, let us know. All right, Scott, read us out.
0: Today's show was produced by Larry Neyman, Travis Larchuk, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Indratot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows, Mia Silverio, and Gaddy McBang. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Box Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business.